Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Good morning, everyone. I am Stacy Gilman, and I serve on the Way Kids team. This morning, I'm reading from Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 through 24. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. Amen. Father, we are so thankful for you. Lord, you are worthy of every aspect of our lives. Let it be an outpouring of worship to you. Lead us in this time of worship. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, you may have a seat. Right, we're in week two of this new series that we're going to go walking through in January called Limitless Commitments. Commitments. And so the the thought is we all, a lot of us, make new commitments in the new year. We call them resolutions. And let's just be honest, they have limits to some extent. And so much more are so limited that you probably already lost your resolution week one, right? That just, it just happens. Yet, there's commitments that we can make that are bigger than just us. They have ripple effects outside of our own family, our own household, our own workplaces, our own culture even outside of this lifetime, we're talking about eternal implications that commitments we can make can have. But that can affect you directly in this life and into eternity. That can impact your family in this life into eternity, your community, even to the ends of the earth, these commitments that we make. And so week one, you were here last week, and we talked about prayer and fasting, this commitment to prayer and fasting. And today we're going to talk about work as worship. And so if you're taking notes, if you've got one of those new notebooks, if you have not, we have them at our connections table before you leave, take one of those. But if you have those new notebooks, use them. They're amazing. They're no good at the table. All right? You get the point. Work as worship. And so I was just thinking about as we were worshiping how grateful I am for our worship band. I mean, they're amazing. I'm so thankful for the Lord. Can we just praise God for how God's provided in this way through this team serving the way they do? And the reason I bring that up, because sometimes we're tempted to think that's all worship is. We come here on Sunday mornings and we sing. And then Josh will say some things and we'll pray and then we'll worship some more, right? We have, we have categories of worship and the Bible doesn't give those distinctions. It's really goes to the point that all of our life is worship. Now, these are aspects of worship, but our lives are meant to be an outpouring of worship. And so this is what drives what we're talking about this morning, is work as worship. And I'm not saying worship your work. We clear there? Some of us fall into that trap, right? But work as worship. So think about your work, or your week, rather, and how you spend the majority of your time. What do you do? Where's the majority of your time go? I mean, some of us, we spend a lot of time on doing different things, right? I mean, scrolling your socials. I mean, me and my wife and my oldest daughter, we've gotten this new uh, rhythm 
competition, really, of seeing who can send the funniest Instagram reel. This is what we do. Literally, last night, my wife and I were sitting on the couch together, just sending each other reels. She's right here. Just sending each other. It's a new hobby of ours. Maybe TMI. But we spend a lot of time doing that. That's not the majority of the time. Some of you spend a lot of time doing many things. I mean, spend a lot of time cooking dinner, changing diapers, playing golf. But for the majority of people, the majority of our time goes towards working. And working, just for context, is a good thing. I mean, many of us spend the majority of our time trying not to work. That's a whole different topic and we're going to touch a little bit on today. But working is a good thing that was ordained by God himself. We see that in Genesis 2. God created man and placed him in the garden. Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it. We see the Apostle Paul. He himself wasn't just his full-time ministry, but Acts 18 actually says he was a tent maker also. We see throughout the Bible, work is actually a good thing. And so the purpose of the time together, I'm going to clarify what we see as work. And when I use the term work, what we're referencing, and not all encompassing, but just give you a, a, a frame of reference. I mean, work can be anything from selling shoes to working at Subway, making sandwiches, to working at Starbucks, making your salted caramel cold brew, to your students pursuing the profession, to the stay-at-home parents. I mean, there's a lot of categories of work. And so that just gives us a, a starting place of what we consider work. All these things and more are work. And so we're using this term work as worship. Worship is an interesting thing trying to, to define. But I came across this definition of worship by this guy named Bruce Leafblad. He says, worship is communion with God in which believers by grace, center their mind's attention and their heart's affection on the Lord, humbly glorifying God in response to his greatness and his word. I think that's a pretty good definition of worship. So when we start merging this work as worship together, we start getting a picture of really what God's called us to do. And so it goes to the question, why do you work? Again, for the majority of us, it's a means to make a living. But the question I want us to think about, what if God has you working for a greater purpose than just a simple means to make a living? And so obviously we see in Colossians 3, we'll be bouncing back and forth. So you should already be in Colossians 3, Lord 1. If not, also go there and Genesis chapter 39. And we made it easy. If you have a hard time finding Genesis chapter 39, just go to the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis. You're welcome, right? 39. And we'll kind of be back, bouncing back and forth, but hopefully we don't lose you and it makes sense as we go. But we saw in Colossians 3, verse 22, it says, Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. I'm not going to go in this too deep, but this is yet another example of how the Bible speaks directly to Christian living despite your cultural setting. In other words, speaking to the Christian character and conduct in a caving culture. In the first century Colossae, where this letter by the Apostle Paul was sent to the Christians in Colossae, generally speaking, okay, big broad stroke I'm about to make, generally speaking, slavery was much more like the employee-employer relationship that we experience today than 
recent history of slavery. Make sense? I'm not saying same as employer employee. I say more like. Does that make sense? We're tracking there? We don't have time to really dive into that, but more like, generally speaking. But as we know, slavery has been around and passed down throughout the centuries. Years and years and years, different degrees, different people, different ways. But in Genesis 37, we see this guy named Joseph, who was betrayed by his brothers, and through a series of events, would lead Joseph to be sold into slavery. But I believe that we see the principles of Colossians 3 displayed through Joseph's life, who himself, again, was purchased as a slave in Egypt, by the officer of Pharaoh named Potiphar. And just noteworthy, I don't believe this was Joseph's dream job, okay? Working as a slave somewhere. Don't believe that's what he drew, grew up as a child dreaming to do. Why well, I say that, there's some courage, but if you're not in your current dream job, there's hope, right? It's not wasted effort. But we're going to talk through a handful of work as worship principles in this time together this morning that I think we can take from the life of Joseph and take to our work, whether it's this afternoon or Monday. And so work as worship principle number one is working under authority. Working under authority, we see in Genesis chapter 39, verse 2, it says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man serving in the household of his Egyptian master. Notice that he's successful in the household. So it begs the question, how did Joseph become successful? I'm going to give us three thoughts. Number one, he submitted to authority. He submitted to authority. Colossians 3.22, obey your human masters in everything. Now everyone has a master, everyone. And most of us have two, at least. I mean, we have an authority at work, your boss, supervisor, CEO, whoever that person is. But everyone has an authority in this world. Whether you believe it or not, his name's Jesus. I mean, Jesus himself said in Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. In case you're wondering, that's everywhere, right? That's a lot of places. All the authority. And so we all have one master. Most of us have two, maybe more. So he, Joseph here submitted to authority. Number two, he worked to the best of his God-given ability. Notice that he served, it says, serving the household. And we know just practically speaking and biblically speaking, we're called to work while God provides the rest. We just want to sit there like got some genie in a bottle and say, God, provide this, and just sit there and wait. And we pray, but we also go. We pray and we work. We pray and we serve. We pray and we wait. We do all these things, but God's called us to be doers. And so there's no doubt that Joseph worked to the best of his ability using his God-given ability. And number three, Joseph's duties were devoted for God's glory. And we can see that just from God, Joseph's lifestyle and what we come to see in his life. But what I'm bringing from here is both practical, practically what this looks like, but biblically this whole concept of how we're called to work. And as Proverbs 16 verse 3 says, it says, commit your activities, means work, to the Lord. Commit your activities to the Lord and your plans will be established. 
It goes back to what we talked about last week in prayer and fasting. Is God, we're committed and devoted to him, he aligns our wants with his will. Commit your activities to the Lord and the plans will be established. So what we see is work as worship principle number one is working under authority, which leads to work as worship principle number two. Working with intentionality. Working with intentionality. Again, think through as you're working of your areas that you consider work. Students, workplace, home life. In Genesis chapter 39 again, we come to verse 3 and it says, When his, being Joseph, when his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor with his master and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all that he owned under his authority. So here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that a promotion is promised if you just apply yourself. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that Joseph applied himself for a greater purpose. Again, Colossians 3 verse 22 says, Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. And this wholeheartedly means with sincerity. Not to please people for promotions or for gaining prominence in the workplace, but for a greater purpose, specifically to please God. What would that look like? How would this focus change how you flipped burgers? How you fixed faucets? When you had a greater purpose, not to please people, but to please God with everything you did. And it talks about people pleasers, people pleasers. Did you know this was a biblical idea, this pleasing people, people pleaser? All right, who in this room is more prone towards being a people pleaser? Anyone? My love. That's a lot of people. All right. I am too. So this hits me pretty hard every time I read it because I am prone to being a people pleaser, which could be a good thing. I use the word could. So here's the people pleasers in the room. I want to tell you things that you already know, and those who are not, maybe you can learn something about us. So number one, people pleasing can be a good thing if your heart posture is in the right place. If your heart really is to care well and to love people and be considerate of people well, it could be a very good thing. Number two, people pleasing can be exhausting if your heart posture is in the wrong place. What I've come to see personally into the lives of others is oftentimes people pleasing comes from our own insecurities. And so we go to please people in hopes of getting something in return, being acknowledged, being appreciated, and that can be exhausting. Which leads us to number three. Some people are impossible to please. That's why it's exhausting. Because not only are you hoping to get something, but not everyone's going to give you what you want to get. And so when you serve, when you work, hoping to get something back, and you don't, it leads easily to discouragement. But a few things regarding this work as worship principle number two, working with intentionality. This intentionality, working from the heart to please God, will lead unintentionally pleasing in your work to others. Let me just unpack that a little bit because when you're working to please God, you're going to work at a heart posture at a higher level. More effort 
least you should. When you love the Lord, you want to serve him well. And when that's your heart posture, it's going to be a better work outcome. And when that better work, when your worth ethic is higher and you're more dependable and reliable because who you serve, the Lord himself, it's going to be pleasing to the right people. But again, that's not your aim. Number two, this type of intentionality in the workplace breaks down the barrier that we make between the secular and the sacred. Let me explain. Secular really is a term that we came up with, right? To clarify everything that's non-spiritual. Like essentially we say God doesn't really care about that stuff so much. I mean, he cares a little bit, but not as much as the sacred, which many people would classify as something like this, a worship gathering. So we make this classification, these barriers between work is work, and then we worship over here, and we have these divides. But what we see is working as worship, this intentionality of you worship through everything that you do. Our life is called to be devoted, dedicated to the Lord as an outpouring of worship, even at work. It's this mentality we have is once we get off the clock, then if maybe we can carve out time to serve Christ. We serve Christ where our feet take us. And this is this, what we see in Colossians 3.22. Work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Work sincerely fearing the Lord. Le- leads us to number three. This type of intentionality is showing your faith through your work. And that opens up opportunities to share your faith with those whom you're working with. And there's no doubt I have that Joseph did this. His high work ethic led to opportunities to sharing the Lord with Potiphar. The only reason I pull this out is because of the many gods of, that the Egyptians worshipped, Potiphar and those had no reason to know much about the Lord unless they were shown. So there's no doubt in my mind, based on who Joseph was and his character that we see to come, that his heart for working was that for the Lord, dedicated to the Lord. I believe we see Joseph working with a Colossians 3.23 heart posture. We just read a Colossians 3.23, and this is the big idea I hope that we leave with today. This is whatever you do. That's a lot of stuff. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord, not for people. And it's not because we don't care about people, it's because we care more about the Lord. Whatever you do, And this heart posture is what promotes the principles that we're seeing here, working on authority, working with intentionality, and principle number three, work is worship, working with integrity. Working with integrity. Going back to Genesis 39, we see his life of Joseph, and he's been working faithfully, and then verse 7 comes, it says, after some time, his master's wife looked longingly longingly at Joseph, meaning, I'm a looking and I'm a liking. That's what it means. Right? And she said to Joseph, sleep with me. But then verse 8, and this is something you may want to highlight, asterisk, mark down. Three, three words it says here. But he refused. That's huge. But he refused. We're faced with a lot of temptations. We have to face them and refuse them. And maybe you don't have men and women throwing themselves at you like we do at Joseph here. 
But there are a ton of temptations that we're faced with in the workplace. I'm just going to mention just a few of the more common ones I think we face more regularly. I mean, think about, just generally, lying. I'm even talking about little white lies that we try to justify. Lying. Lusting. How about slandering over the coffee pot talking? You know what I'm saying? Like when we get together, like all these things we're tempted with in just casual conversations. Oh, have you seen how good Susie looks today? Or can you believe how bad our boss is? Like these are conversations that we're tempted to be involved with because they're around. Or when you think about just lying. Listen, we are currently in one of my favorite seasons of the year. NFL playoffs. That's right. Amen. Which also means that this day called Super Sick Monday is coming. Have you heard of this? Super Sick Monday. It's the day after the Super Bowl where many, many people call in sick. Strange, right? Something happens on Sunday that everybody calls in sick on Monday. But this is a form of lying. There's no way everyone got sick. Everybody got food poisoning from their Super Bowl parties the night before. Some definitely did. But we have these temptations. We're even temptation to often shut it down and slack off at work, which can be in a very real way, if we're honest with ourselves, stealing. Years ago, don't ask me how I know. Years ago, every year March Madness comes around, right? This is college basketball NCAA tournament which I personally love, second to NFL playoffs. All right. These tournaments start, and they run all day, first week, all day Thursday and all day Friday. Well, most people work on Thursdays and Fridays. And so what they did on their website was create a thing to where you could stream it on your computer, but then when the boss or someone walks in, there's a button that you can push, and it brings up a fake Excel spreadsheet. It's a thing, man. Crazy. Why did they create that? Because people are slacking off at work. But I think we can easily justify it, but man, is God glorified in the slacking off and really it's stealing time. And don't hear me, I'll try to try and be a stick in the mud. Like if you have, you can adjust your work by God's grace, do that. But these temptations that we have, and the point is, despite temptations, Christians do not compromise their reputation for the Lord. Getting caught up in the lure and lust of a lost culture. Christians have to resist the caving into the cravings of the crowd. James 4, verse 7 says, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. In that order, submit to God, and then you can fight the temptations that come your way. Oftentimes, we try to fight the temptations and think about God later, and we fail miserably. This whole authority is we're submitting to God's authority first, and everything else comes after that goes back to our big idea. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord, not for people. And just a quick note, integrity does not promise prosperity. Going back to the life of Joseph, we see that this man full of integrity. But then we see in Genesis 39, verse 19, it says, When his master heard the story that his wife told him. Because this is what happened. He refused Potiphar's wife. His wife lied about Joseph. And it says when his, her husband heard it, he was furious and then had Joseph thrown into prison. But again, we're not promised prosperity, but that's really not our heart 
aim. Going back to Colossians 3, verse 24, it says, Knowing that you will receive a reward of inheritance from the Lord. That's huge. Who are you working for? For the Lord. What if things fall apart? You're still secure because you're in the Lord and you're working ultimately for Him and you trust Him in every and all things. It says that in this verse, you serve the Lord Christ. In case you haven't caught on to this yet, this work as worship is working for the one you worship as worship. Working as you're worshiping, devoting it to Christ himself. Which goes into this working under authority, working with intentionality, working with integrity, and work as worship principle number four. Working for God's glory. Working for God's glory. One of my favorite verses, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. It says, so whether, whether you drink or eat or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Whatever you do, have you ever thought about that? That's a lot of things. I mean, that's cleaning toilets, that's taking out the trash, that's being a bank teller, changing your, do- your toddler's diapers, that's teaching your teenagers, that's... Whatever you do, do it for God's glory. Have you ever thought about that? Now, I hear the pushback. What about when you hate your job? Or what about when your boss is impossible to take? What about when you're just having a terribly bad day? Let me go to work as worship principle number five. It's this faith concept. It's working under God's sovereignty. Working under God's sovereignty. Faith in God who sovereignly reaches over any workplace. And so going back to Joseph's life real quick, through a series of events, again, he was betrayed by his brothers. He got thrown into a pit, left to perish, got picked up, sold into slavery, found himself at Potiphar's house as a slave. Then from Potiphar's, he went to prison, because he passed on his wife's, Potiphar's wife's seduction. From there, through a series of events again, he found himself in the palace, working directly for the Pharaoh. And now he had authority. And he was able to exercise his authority over Egypt, which he used by his own abilities and God's gifting to lead the whole people to start setting aside and storing food because he knew by God's revelation of a coming famine. And by his leadership, many people were saved from the famine that struck the whole area, the whole region. Which gave him this opportunity. Remember, we were talking about God's sovereignty. It gave Joseph this opportunity by way of his position in the palace. He had this opportunity provided for him and the ability to do it to finally take revenge on what his brothers did to him on his brothers. See, his brothers had to come before him now. And when they found out who Joseph was, they were fearful for their lives. And rightly so, right? Because they knew what they did, and now he's in a whole bunch of power and authority, and he can do whatever he wants to these brothers. But see, I'm convinced Joseph still knew that he was a man under a higher authority in Colossians 3.24 type of way which says, you serve the Lord Christ. 
He was a servant of the Most High God. And so to his brothers, in Genesis 50, verse 20, he says, you planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. God is sovereign over all things, always. God is sovereign over your success and even over situations that cause you stress. So this work is worship principle number five. God's sovereignty changes everything. Think about in 2006, full-time firefighting as a civilian with the Air Force. And I was good at my job to really apply myself by God's grace. And I was just, my aim was the next promotion, next promotion, next promotion. In 2006, I was awarded Civilian of the Year for the base. It's a big honor. In 2007, I lost my job. That's a quick turnaround, right? Honored as a spin of the year to next year you don't have a job. See, they reallocated cut positions, and I was one of the eight low men in the totem pole, and so they had to ax our jobs. And so I went from a pretty good position to now moving to Georgia, the place I'd never been, nor did I want to go, to be honest, for a job that I didn't know about, for a cut and pay, demotion, just so our family could have a job. But why I say that? Because through this journey of faith, God grew me and my wife and our family in our faith, in our connection with one another. He grew our hearts for ministry. And through a series of events, we got to come back to the job that we once wanted to have. We got a promotion a couple years later, started serving at a different church in Virginia Beach, started leading in student ministry, full-time firefighting, volunteer student ministry leader, which God would use to cultivate a heart for in me for full-time ministry to eventually leave the job as the assistant fire chief of the fire department to go be a youth pastor. No one does that. But I tell you, a stepping stone that helped build my faith to be able to take that leap of faith was when we lost our job. In God's sovereignty, I saw God show up in the midst of a difficult, uncertain situation abundantly more than I ever thought or could have imagined. So like we said before, he hasn't failed me, and he won't. Jenny should write a song about that, right? It's good stuff. And so we were able to, to, Jesus, we saw you do it again. We're going to take a step of faith, and we feel like you were calling us away from fire service into full-time ministry. We're going to trust you in that. And God provided more than we ever thought or imagined, which led us to the next faith jump off a cliff moment, which when we sensed God was calling us to start a church. I didn't know how to do that, nor did I personally I ever want to. I appreciate the people that did. It wasn't me. But I saw God providing that big moment we lost our job. I saw God providing the big moment when we left our job to full-time ministry. And I knew he would provide again if he was calling us to this thing. Why do I say all that? None of that stuff was from me or us. It was God providing and moving and us just trying to follow the best we could. Regardless of the situa- situation or circumstance that we're in. Why? Because God's faithful and he's still sovereign over all of it. And so as we start wrapping this thing up, 
What is work as worship? I'll give you three just quick ideas. Work as worship is seeing work as more than a paycheck. You are placed in your workplace for a purpose. Work as worship is seeing work as more than just a means to make a living. You are placed in your workplace for a mission. And work as worship is seeing more work as more than work. You are there working as a witness for the one whom you worship. Colossians 3.24 again says, you serve the Lord Christ. And that serve can be translated slave. Saying you are a slave to the Lord Christ. And this is a good thing. Because this just references where we were brought from as Christians and brought to. By faith in Jesus' finished work on the cross, you have been saved from being a slave to sin to being a slave to Christ, in whom we are able then to find purpose and life. That's where it all starts. Romans 6, 22 and 23 says, But now, since you have been set free from sin and become enslaved to God, you have your fruit which results in sanctification. An outcome is eternal life. The outcome is eternal life. It says, for the wages of sin is death. Those things that we earn because of who we are and the lifestyle that we're living of, separated from Christ, was death. But it says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has given us this gift, paid the wages that we could not pay, the debt we could not afford because of who he is, and we were incapable of doing it. Jesus said, to tell us, I said, it is finished on the cross, which means paid in full. The payment that we owe that we couldn't pay was paid in full by his death on the cross so that everyone, everywhere who would come to him by faith is forgiven and has eternal life and is a new creation at the moment of faith into eternity and beyond. Romans 10, 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This everyone is a lot of people. I love the everyone's and anyone's in Scripture because that covers everyone and anyone. Think about who those people are in your life. Maybe even yourself, you're making excuses like, I, I got to do this before I come to the Lord. I got to do this before I try to serve Jesus. I got to do this. You don't have to do that because you can't. Jesus did it. This is God's grace. You come to Jesus with all your filth, all your baggage, even with all your goodness. You may think you're killing this life. Without Jesus, you're not. Come with your pride. And let Jesus start making that change in you. Listen, if that's you for the first time, if you want to finally and fully just surrender and put your faith in Jesus, you can do that this morning. And if you feel that prompting by the Holy Spirit, I encourage you to do that this morning. It's a simple prayer. Even in your own seat, we'll have a prayer team, team to the side. We'd love to pray with you, pray for you. But it's a heart posture saying, I need you. I see that I've sinned and fallen short, but I've seen how amazing your love is. In my rebellion, in my rejection, in my trying to do things and I can't do them, you still died for me so I can have a relationship with you. I've created in your image, created with intentionality to know you and to be known by you and how I can have life in you. I want that, Jesus. Some form of that. You put in your own heart posture words, but you, it's, it's something you do as the Lord leads. And for the rest of us, if you're following Jesus, remembering that you're following Jesus, remember that moment that God changed your life Sometimes we can just kind of stray from the love that we had for him at once, that first time. And so I just 
encourage us to reflect and re- respond to what God's doing in this moment. We love to pray with you, pray for you. I'm going to invite our band back up, and we're going to sing another worship song. But I want to encourage you just to respond to what God's doing in your life in this moment. Whatever that is, whatever that is. It could be after we get done praying, I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to lead us through prayer. Maybe it's just you have to sit there and continue praying. Maybe you want to pray with someone around you. We have a prayer team to the side. We'd love to pray with you, pray for you, but respond to what God's doing. Maybe God's revealing some areas of your life that you need to change. You know, it's God's grace in showing you those areas because he's a good father. Maybe in your prayer time, you're finally just saying, you know, I devote my whole life. I'm tired of these separations that I've built. I got my family life, my work life, I got my church life. And I'm seeing for the first time, they're all one life. Maybe it's a commitment now to start committing your whole life, including your work, as worship. Whether your work is around the home, on the phone, managing loans, selling cologne, flying drones, playing the trombone, teaching your toddlers how to use a porcelain throne. You're welcome. Delivering dinner to some guy named Ramon. It took me way too much time to come up with this. The point is, determine today to devote your work as worship to the Lord. Father, we thank you for bringing us here. We thank you for the reminder of who you are and because of who you are, who we are in you. Lord, you're worthy of all of our lives, all of who we are, all of what we do. We're just thankful for you, Jesus. We're thankful for the amazing love that you poured out on the cross and that while we're still sinners, you proved your own love for us and dying on the cross for us so that we can have life eternally with you. That connection restored with you, the sin that has separated us, you have broken down and paid in full. So Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for the ability to work, Father. And so I just pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you lead us to start living every aspect of our lives as worship under your authority with intentionality and integrity for your glory and relying on your sovereignty. We pray this in the name that's above every name. That is the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.